0: last night anything could happened to anyone like people could have died last night which is somebody's gonna be held
1: accountable and um, we'll be taking further action that's chief mike sack talking about the waves of racially motivated attacks this month against mi'kmaq lobster fishers in nova scotia he's our guest on the akamemoc podcast danza and welcome to the akamemoc podcast i'm your host perry belgaard National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Akamemuk is a Plains Cree word for you all persevere, or in other words, let's keep going and don't give up. On this podcast, we discuss the leading issues facing First Nations peoples with top experts, with elders and community leaders. And today, a leading issue is the violent harassment and intimidation of First Nations lobster fishers by non-Indigenous fishers, as they attempt to prevent the Mi'kmaq from exercising and implementing their inherent and treaty rights, as upheld by the Supreme Court of Canada in the 1999 Marshall decision. While the federal government has failed to define what moderate livelihood means in terms of the quantities, there's no doubt that First Nations are allowed to fish as long as they do so in an environmentally sustainable way. And so today, we welcome Chief Mike Sack to the akameema podcast. Hey, good day. Thank you very much for having me, Chief. All right, Chief Sack, let's start out with just getting a few facts and figures straight up. You, under your jurisdiction and authority, have issued 11 licenses for 50 traps each for a maximum of 550 traps. So if each trap holds 9 to 10 lobsters, roughly, that's about 5,000 lobsters, you know, according to the math. So that's the figures, right? Right. Okay. So how often are those traps emptied? And what would that many lobster be worth when sold to the processors and wholesalers? Just so our listeners have an idea.
0: Yeah. So ideally, you know, they pull their traps every day, 50 traps. I use a little bit different numbers. They might have, uh, you know, 500 pounds, I guess, right? So 500 pounds, it's roughly an average of like a $5 lobster. It goes down to a $3 lobster. You know, it's um, it's always less than what they're going to get in the commercial season.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They only do it for two or three months a year. The, the commercial side of things, it's... You know, you got close to a thousand license out there. They start off with 375 traps, and in the spring, they all get uh, an extra 50 traps each. So sort they're of up to 425. So, you know, you're looking at over 400,000 traps. That's a lot of lobster. You know, you're into the 40 mm-hmm. million range. Um, but even there's numbers from DFO that, uh, you know, one season pull out 60 million pounds of lobster. And we're well with under, you know, a million pounds. So, you know, it's very low. Um, we're in the one, 2% range of uh, what mm-hmm. our people are
1: are actually fishing there so so it's a minimal impact in terms of the commercial fishery so that's a, that's a very key point and later this week you announced that you're going to be pulling your lobster fleet from fishing given what we discussed and and even given that there is a court injunction now to prevent non-indigenous people fishers from harassing you from exercising your right so you've got that extra power now and you've got these extra things in your favor why did you pull your fleet from fishing yeah thanks again that that's a
0: two-part uh question one part is um we we have three um lfa 35 It's lobster fishing area 35 and uh it's a very lucrative you know lobster grounds uh there's about 100 in that area you know our band has three uh three vessels went out they caught lobster and we couldn't sell it nobody here will deal with us um, it's commercial lobster it's just like the same as anyone else here but they're threatened by you know they deal with us they'll be boycotted or um, there been threats gone out. Uh, the other part of that is we have, uh, you know, we're, we're pushing for our moderate livelihood fishery, but our our fishers are losing their gear every day. You know, their traps are being taken, their rope are taken, the buoys are cut. Normally our people buy all the used gear in the area, but now nobody will sell it to them. Um, you know, people have reached out and say, yeah, we'd love to sell you the gear we have, but somebody sees you taking that gear in my yard and I'll have trouble. <coughs> you know, they threaten me. So, um that plan was to take those our gear from 35 support our moderate livelihood fishery which is what we're more interested in doing anyway and through that we would have um be able to extend our fisheries for our people taking our our big commercial boats over to where they're fishing and use those for protection in case any big commercial boats show up
1: so basically then you're saying well we, we needed a bit of a lull in the action from because one there's still economic intimidation and economic racism and fear that's being imposed on your people because even though you've caught lobster, you can't sell them.
0: That's Nobody right. wants
1: to deal with the the Mi'kmaq fishers right now because of the fear and the intimidation. And uh, so there's there's that one aspect. Then the other one is uh, equipment. You can't purchase or get any mm-hmm. equipment, used equipment, because people are gain are scared to to deal with the because. Uh, the lobster fishers because of the, the threats and the intimidation and the violence portrayed. So th- there's a huge racial divide going on there right now. And chief, if I could add uh,
0: the worst part about that is two first nations communities have partnerships in lobster pounds and they won't even deal with us.
1: Oh, so it's even affecting our own people inside ourselves too.
0: Yeah. Just because yeah. like I say, Nova Scotia has a million people, only 17,000 are Mi'kmaq. You know, we're under 2%. So um, unfortunately, Their business is built off of the the industry as opposed to the Mi'kmaq people.
1: Right. Huge issue that's still brewing there. And then part of the tension and and everybody across Canada witnessed the violence and the intimidation on TV. It was clear. And we've all called out for the RCMP to do their jobs, for DFO to do their jobs on the water as well, to protect the Mi'kmaq fishers from exercising their right. So in light of what's happened, um, now the RCMP have deployed more resources. In your mind, opinion, is that enough? What's been done so far? It's when we go down to the wharf. There's, you know, there's police presence. It's nice to see. It. It's way more than
0: there was. Uh, we're grateful for that. Our biggest concern is the water. There's nobody out on the water. The odd day, to a coast guard, one coast guard boat would go up the bay and back out. And um, but that same vessel was out there when our people were surrounded. When our people had flare shot at them, um, all of that stuff, right? So I don't have. I've said I don't have safety, or I don't feel comfortable and secure and trust the RCMP uh, just because the numbers aren't there. If a big swarm of people, 300 commercial, uh, fishermen showed up, there's not enough officers there to, to handle that.
1: So again, our, our cry would still be and plea would still be to be the R- to the RCMP and to DFO to ensure that there's adequate resources on the ground to ensure safety for all parties. And, yes, uh, you'd agree with that strong statement going forward. Okay, so... More needs to be done, no question. And, 100%. Uh let's, uh let's talk about the Marshall decision itself. And the Supreme Court decision 21 years ago uh, did rule through the Marshall decision uh, that Mi'kmaq have the right to fish for a moderate livelihood. And that was a huge victory for our people. Then a few months later, due to pressure and everything else, Marshall 2 came out, you know, that, yes, you have the right. And then they put that caveat about, um, subject to federal regulation as well. I think that was a simple English terms, you know, Marshall One and Marshall II. Um, what are your thoughts on that decision and how do you see it being implemented going forward, both from uh, the Mi'kmaq rights and jurisdiction, the treaty right, and with the federal government involvement now on the regulation piece on it? My stance is
0: getting stronger on that, I, I do feel. You know, first off, it was um, grateful for that. They recognized that. Secondly, why did it have to go to court in the beginning? You know, that was our right. So it's always been our right. It shouldn't have to been reestablished. Um, and then to go back just to make sure that they had control over it. That doesn't sit well with me at all. You know, nation to nation wise, I take it back to in our area, we have a commercial fishery that's happening. But na- they never, ever had approval from the Mi'kmaq of Nova Scotia. So, you know, in my mind, their fishery is unauthorized right now.
1: So, so for our listeners, we have the treaty from 1760 and 61. That's what we're talking about, the treaty between the Mi'kmaq and the Crown. And we also have it contained in Section 35, which canadas it's Canada's constitution, the highest law of the land, existing Aboriginal and treaty rights are recognized and affirmed. So we have a treaty right, constitutionally pre- uh, recognized, protected right. All we're trying to do now is get it honored and implemented according to spirit and intent. That's what we're trying to do.
0: Yeah, right? that's perfectly said. Yes, it
1: is. Now, one of the... Um, complaints that we're, we're starting to pick up and see that people are saying, well, First Nations fishers have the right, Mi'kmaq have the right, but they're fishing out of season, you know, according to some people, you know, and there's a risk there and we need to save this for everybody. And in your mind, is that an issue, concern, problem, yes or no? And how do you plan on dealing with those kind of statements to to educate people about the, the concern and how are you dealing with it?
0: The season, we dug into it and there the commercial season was established due to the economy. And when it's best to to move lobster and that such, um, as far as our season, we're we're, we're going to go with what works best for us. You know, um, the commercial guys here have a 45-foot foot boat with a uh, five-foot extension on it, and it's 28 feet wide. Our boats are, you know, 24 feet by 6 feet wide. We can't go out at the same times. Um, you know, this time of year, our smaller boats can only go out once, twice a week. And these guys didn't even start yet. They can go all winter long, right? So there's a difference that way. You know, I always say that, uh, you know, Minister Jordan's governing that fisheries right now. If they have issues, they would take it up with her. And um, as far as seasons go, we're not looking to have the same season. We're looking to establish our own fishery. And that fishery, we will determine our season as our phased approach to our management plan that they're interfering with us um, doing.
1: You're looking at issuing and developing your own fishery, the lobster fishery, based on your laws and regulation. And let's talk about the conservation at the front as well. You know, because that was always coming back from people. Oh, the Mi'kmaq are going to go out there and overfish and everything else. But can you share with our listeners uh, some of the, the the science or the elders' knowledge as part of your plan, your management plan? Because we have said, yes, there is licenses and regulations coming under Mi'kmaq law, under your First Nations law and jurisdiction. And it also incorporates the conservation piece. Can you talk yeah, a little bit yeah. about
0: that? One of the things that they say with the seasons is that, uh, you know, they're molten or they're seeding. Uh, lobsters can molt a couple of times a year. Some don't molt at all. Lobsters carry seeds for nine to 10 months. So they're obviously doing it in other seasons as well. Um, around Nova Scotia, lobsters are fished at different times of the year. And at some places they're fished all year round. So you can't hide behind that for conservation. Um, the other thing you just go a little bit south to us is Maine. There's seasons Mm -hmm. all year round, you know, same Bay of water, same lobsters. So the conservation we also put forward uh, with DFO to do a joint study on the science with our fishery and their fishery and have complete, open, transparent dialogue with them on it, and conservation is our main concern. Um, one of the things I suggested is that, you know, take the 375 traps, knock them down a bit, make it 350 or 300, or or put a quota under catch. You have
1: these individual boats, catch 100,000 pounds a year. That's a lot of lobster. So, Chief Mike, would you agree, like co development or co management of the resource? You are, you are in talks now with DFO? Yeah, we are. And that's something you're, keeping, you're going to keep working towards, and that's something yeah. you'll be
0: supporting. Yeah, we're, we're a little bit leery on the wording of co management, you know, kind of, we're, you know how it goes, right? We want to make sure it's uh, tilted in our favor, just to, um, it's our fishery. Mm-hmm. They don't come to us for input on their fishery, um, but we respect their right to uh, have input and, and um, help govern at some capacity.
1: Chief Mike, you're in Nova Scotia and there's 13 Mi'kmaq First Nations communities in Nova Scotia and then throughout the Atlantic, you also have Maliseet First Nations, about 35 or so First Nations on the East Coast between New Brunswick, Newfoundland, PI and Nova Scotia. How are you dealing with some of the criticism from other Mi'kmaq and the neighboring communities who feel it's your fishers that are deliberately antagonizing the commercial fishers in that air, in that territory? What's the process? How are you dealing with some of those those things coming yeah, forward?
0: Yeah, no, you know, my peers, our fellow chiefs, um, that's been a tough one for me. Um, you know, I sit with them three times a week at meetings, and and it's always, you know, we're going to fight for our right. That's what we got to do. Comes time to step up, and I'm looking around like, you know, where guys, where you at here, right? Um, but it's, you know, each band has a different um, autonomy. You know, we all have a different size and shape and needs. So I respect, you know, where they're at. At the same time, I think they should be here with us. Um, we have other communities that are trying to take this um, a test case, to go back to court, and I'm here saying, you know, come with, come with Shubi, our uh, Sebagan Eighty. Um, our, our, uh, we're going to be strong. We have a, a good way forward, and um, we're right there. Like you know, we're talking to everyone. It's going across Canada. Um, I wish they were here behind us even till today. It's uh, very unfortunate. You know how communities go. There's inner politics. It's, um, but I, I deal with a lot of stuff. You know, a lot of misled information out there. And, uh, one of the biggest things that kind of screws everything up is people misinforming people. Mm -hmm. But I I just wish that I had, you know, all 12 other chiefs here standing beside me and, um, it's not the case, but I'm here. I'll fight for the Mi'kmaq people of, uh, our, our territory and, um, I'll give it all we got for them. And every step we make, I always make sure that what we're doing won't affect any other communities or anything. Um, because that's the last thing we want is, oh, uh, chief of the and then they screw that up. Uh, not the case. We, our team is growing. You know, we have lawyers, economists, uh, our consultation team. We got it all prepared to uh, go forward, and it, it's a lot of work. But um, you know, I, I want to take this fight on so our kids don't have to, right? You mm-hmm. know, it's been going for a long time, and I'd be, I'd be upset if my son had to go through the stuff that I'm going through right now.
1: It's like, Chief, we have individual rights, but we have collective rights. You know, and a lot of our elders say, you know, it's just like that old analogy. Um, If we can work together and through unity, there's more collective strength. And they always used to give that example of uh, one arrow. You know, you can snap one arrow. But if you put six or seven or eight arrows together, it's really harder to break. You know, and that's uh, always so The the talk about working together, collective rights, unity, strength in numbers and to... Uh, trying to make a better life for our children and grandchildren so that they won't have to face the violence and the terrorism and the, you know all those things that you and your uh, fishers have faced in the last couple of weeks merely trying to implement that this right to fish for a moderate livelihood chief sack going forward do you have any other issues concerns you know we talked about uh, LFA 35 and how your people are out on the in that territory LFA 34 is coming up Issues, concerns going forward?
0: Yeah, for sure. We do. Um, you know, LFA 34, our band has nine licenses in that area. And uh, the commercial industry has 950-ish license. So we're going to have all of those boats in the water in the same area. Our people are concerned. All of ours are leased to our band members. And they're they're calling me now wanting to uh, kind of pull out of that. And they, they've invested into that season. But as far as our livelihood fishing in that same area, you Know, um, those are the same vessels that came down and cut the guys' gear, took the gear, dumped the lobsters, um, you know, removed everything on them. So, uh, I, I'm pushing so hard so something can be utilized or something can be in place to protect everyone for the LFA 34 season, which is going to start on uh, November 27th. So, there's still a lot of
1: work to do before November 27th because uh, your, your, your people are part of that November 27th season as well. They got nine out of the uh, 950 boats or? It would be, uh, we have nine, you know, commercial, communal commercial license that we've been fishing off of.
0: And, you know, it's been good for our people. They learned how to do it and, um, but now we're wanting to establish our own fishery and we're looking to get right out of that commercial, establish our own, and that's where our people will be. Um, but there's a big concern, animosity, um, you know, the people are thinking we're getting ahead of them. And, uh, you know, I'm certain they're thinking about seeking revenge. And it's one thing to fight on the side of the road. It's another thing for your boat to be
1: rammed in the ocean when it's uh, 300 feet deep. So there's still a lot of potential danger. And so, again, the call out for RCMP and DFO officials to, to make sure there's boots on the ground, prevent uh, uh, any uh, acts of violence against people. There's That's still the call going forward. And uh, there's still a call to start sitting down uh, with the government and define what moderate livelihood means as soon as possible so that everybody can benefit. And, and stress again, you're taking one to 2% of the overall lobster fishery. And that's a that's a minimal amount on the overall fishery.
0: Yeah, Chief, one last thing I will add is that last week I was, in a sense, I hate to say it, but I was begging for DFO or Coast Guard boats to come out to the area and to ensure our people's safety. And I, I jump on Facebook and I see pictures that DFO boats are in Cape Britain, Um, hauling Mi'kmaq fishers gear there so they're hauling our people's gear but they're not here preventing commercial fishermen from hauling our gear which to me is frustrating and when I got my community members you know calling me and and yelling at me why is this going on I don't like to say I don't know but at those times you know uh, I'm dazzled I'm not not sure what's going on.
1: So Chief like in spite of all the challenges dealing with the, the violence and the racism and and the the threats and dealing with uh, government DFO and then dealing with the commercial fishers and your colleagues, in spite of all these challenges, what gives you hope?
0: Hope is uh, the life, the better life I want for my community and and our people, you know what I mean? That's what keeps me pushing. Um, We have a a kind of a vicious cycle, Um, you know, the welfare system, um, you know, in our community, we have families living with families type of thing, you know. Our community is short 400 homes. Uh, we have a big need. But I know uh, we have people here fishing and they've been fishing for years. And those people come out of there, you know, they're, they're able to provide better for their family. Um, I just know it's going to be a better life going forward. And to see the support we're getting from across Canada, from the States, everywhere, it's, uh, we know that we're doing the right thing. And if we weren't, it wouldn't be going this way. So I'm very hopeful. I'm optimistic. You know, things are happening quick. Things are going in the right direction. But I, I keep telling my people, I bring my fishermen together every four days and, and meet with them and bring them back their spirits back up and let them know that we're doing this for our kids and our the next seven generations. Lobsters will be there. Um, there's no harm in that and um, I'm very optimistic to see them when they light up and uh, I keep telling them, hang on, we're the peaceful ones. We'll get through this and uh, at someday we'll look back and, and be proud of ourselves for what we have
1: accomplished. Chief Michael Sack from Sabaganegadi, thank you for uh, standing up for all of us across Canada regarding inherent rights and treaty rights. Again, in Cree, Akamemok, don't stop, don't give up. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much, National Chief. And I want to thank all the people for listening to the Akamemok podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Give us a rating and tell your friends about us on social media. And as always, we want to give a big shout-out to the Red Dog Singers of the Treaty 4 Territory in southern Saskatchewan for providing our theme music. Until next time, I'm Perry Bellegarde, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations.